TechJet, from single to multi-core with Geronimo Castrillo-Maso. Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast, episode 31. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems Podcast. I'm Georg Lohrer, and this is the podcast dedicated to challenges within the embedded systems realm. I tell you the know-how and teach you the ways to succeed and overcome your daily obstacles and roadblocks in embedded systems projects. First of all, before we jump into today's episode, I have received some feedback. Besides the, the positive one, I also got some creative feedback here saying to me that my episodes are a little bit too less lighthearted, so it's a little bit too heavy, a little bit too loaded. Sometimes it looks like I'm giving lectures. And sometimes it becomes even boring. And that's something I do not want to have, definitely not. So boring is the last thing I want to have for my audience. And therefore, I wanted to ask you, so guys, what about you? What if I would become more conversational? So that means I would drop the level a little bit, having more a lighthearted approach, don't have this kind of lectures, more or less simply yeah, doing some thoughts and providing some details and that's it. So shall I become more entertaining? At least what is possible for me in my personal spectrum of possibilities. And I would be really happy to get your note, you get your feedback. Where should I go from your perspective? So what's your preferred way I should overtake for my presentation here in the podcast? Give me your note at embeddedsuccess.com slash feedback. I would be really happy to receive your details. Taking the just mentioned sentences into account, I have a rather bad news for you guys. Because today's tech chat is rather strong tobacco. So nothing really lighthearted, but it has been done, it has been created and recorded with great enthusiasm. And I assume it's a very hot and very interesting topic. So what is it what is it about? I want to introduce you with Geronimo Castriomazo. We got acquainted at the Embedded World 2016 here in Nuremberg in Germany, and he is the co-founder and advisor at Selexica. Selexica have won the Embedded Award. 2015 in the category tools for their product SLX multi-core tool suite and this award was the trigger that I have visited their booth. After some amazing talk we agreed to record a tech chat, widen the topic and enlarge the audience. Geronimo is a famous character. He has studied electrical engineering in Colombia and he has achieved his master degree at uh, the Alari Institute in Lugano in Switzerland. And he has made his PhD at the RWTH, which is a famous technical university in Germany, in Aachen. And since 2014, uh, Geronimo has joined the Department of Computer Science at the TU Dresden, that's a technical university in Dresden, as a professor for compiler construction. He has proven track record of multi and many core programming and is a known specialist within the realm of automatic code generation. For us, legacy code originally designed for single core processes is the regular fact nowadays. So we have tons of legacy code which was originally manufactured for one processor with one core. But in parallel, we have advanced multi-core hardware platforms that became state-of-the-art in the electronic industry. 
Usually, software for multi-core is designed manually. If we now imagine what will happen if the amount of cores increases in future, and how shall we handle existing code bases? We are still only one core uh, oriented. Is there a way to automatically migrate legacy code to a new multi-core structure? And can we improve software design for multi-core deployment? And here in the approaches which have been realized in the SLX multi-core tool suite will support answers to all these kind of questions. In this chat, we are discussing the different benefits of using a tool instead of redesigning code for multi-core systems. We dive into the models and operations which are necessary to parallelize existing code. We identify typical user stories and we also mention the tricky pitfalls you might run into. In addition, Geronimo unveils underlying details of automatic code analysis and the problems we have had to solve to provide a tool like the SLX multi-core. As regular, you'll find the links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 31. Stay tuned and be inspired. Geronimo, tell us very briefly what you do. Yeah, sure, Georg. So, uh, yeah, my name is Geronimo Castrillon. I'm a professor at the TU Dresden. I'm a professor for the chair for compiler construction. So I work with uh, languages and compilers, and, and I specialize myself in generating code for parallel multi-cores, especially in the embedded domain. And as you know uh, from the embedded world, I am also a advisor and co-founder of Selectica Software Solution, which is, I guess, the reason why I'm here today. Yeah, definitely. Let us a little bit talk about what is the SLX multi-core tool suite? Yeah, sure. So this is a, a so so Silexica itself is a spin-off of the RWTH Aachen University, which is here in Germany in Aachen, and uh, so it it has four products. So the idea this is something that started from research in Aachen and with about ten years of research, and so the idea that we had was to make multi-core programming easier. So that's like the the overall goal. And Silexica uh, itself has so this multi-core tool suite has uh, four different products that we can go through in the in the interview but uh, i think the, the basic idea of this product is first to take sequential c code and parallelize it automatically or semi automatically the other one is uh, to decide where to put this task in the multi course that we call the slx mapper uh, the other one is the code generator this is where we start generating transforming the transforming the code which is platform unspecific into target code which includes um, api calls and and using for example hardware accelerators that you might have in your multi core and the last product is a product which is very interesting, which is about how to explore and how to do what-if analysis if, if you are trying to design your next multi-core platform. Okay, well, that's already a big bunch of, of information and things. Let's start with the very first one here. So why was it your intention to make multi-core easier? What's that complicated with multi-core programming then? Yeah, I think you, 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 you probably know also from, from, your, from, your pro, from your projects with people trying to deal with parallelism and uh, things like synchronization, data raises. Um, I think the, the, the main reason is because we, we have a lot of legacy C code, we have a lot of legacy programmers that are used to things sequentially. They want to do a task, one thing after another, and uh, once it turns parallel, it, it's, it's more complicated. So I think uh, parallel computing has been, has been there for, for, for many years, right? So for 40 years, uh, people have been doing it in big, big machines. The difference here is that the parallelism that you want to achieve is at the application level. So it's, it's very fine-grained and it's more difficult to do. It's very, it's very easy to do parallelism if you have a lot of big threads dealing with server connections and these kind of things. 
but it's more difficult if you have an application which is doing some number crunching and you want to exploit or you want to uh, separate that number crunching into, into different tasks that are very closely communicating, for example. So this is this is this is one of the major things. One is uh, get it get it right, and the second thing is is, is extract the performance from from a parallel computer. This sounds for for me it sounds amazing on one side, and on the other side it sounds too simple and too easy to be true. Something on one side we have we have the we have all the legacy stuff, and you said it's it's programmed, it's developed for processes which are very which are one core systems which are only sequentially organized, and and therefore it might be a real deep and broad challenge to to make some kind of parallelization out of that. We, I remember a programming language like Occam, which was which was designed especially for parallelism, but it has gone down meanwhile, and so. How do you do that? How, what, first of all, which kind of operating system is supported with the SLX multi-core uh, okay. multi tool suite? Yeah, so, um, so I think, yeah, you're right. So like obtaining automatically parallelism out of C code is, I think it's kind of the holy grail. So to, to get like, very lega like really legacy C code and make it and parallelize it better than a human can do is, is very difficult. So mm -hmm. it, it, it took a lot of research and, and I, I'm not claiming here that we're getting the, the best optimal performance for every C code that you give the tools. Um, this is something that, uh, as you probably know, for, for C code is, is very difficult to do because you have to chase pointer, you have to do a lot of analysis about yes. how data dependencies are flowing in your program. And that is also the fact that some applications cannot be parallelized, right? So you cannot extract parallelism if there is no, if, if there is no inherent parallelism in the application. So um, that put on aside, um, there are several people that have tried also to, to extract parallelism out of C code. And, and the common approach is to try to restrict the constructs that you are, that you are allowed to use in, in your C programs. We, we decided, okay, no, let's, let's take C code as it is. Let's take uh, legacy C code and let's try to do our best. And we found out that even though we cannot do, uh, we, so and sometimes we cannot analyze it because it's, 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 very, it's, it's very difficult. It, it uses a lot of pointers or mm -hmm. data structures with pointer insights using a lot of communication via shared memory. Even though we, we cannot analyze all the things, we do find spots where we can extract parallelism actually in, in big projects. So, um, so the C code, so, so the, the first product in Silexica is dealing with C code because we thought, and we see that as a need in the industry because of all this C code that is lying around. Uh, but we also think that uh, uh, looking into the future, we need new programming models. And that's why we started also working on the second product, which, which is the Iselex mapper. So that we have a, a language which is already Uh, which expresses already parallelism. And for this, we use stream programming models or data flow programming models. Um, but let me go back. You also ask about the, the operating systems that we support, right? Yes. So um, this is more uh, an issue of the, of the, of the backends, of the co-generation, which is the third project in, in Silexica. This is not that related to how we extract parallelism. So, we, so our compiler, you, you can imagine this as a, as a big compiler that is now not compiling for a single core, but it is compiler for a multi-core. So as in the case of a single core, a compiler has to know things about the system it's going to run on. So it has to know about calling conventions. It has to know about uh, system calls. It has to know about the runtime system. Mm -hmm. In a similar way, our multi-core compiler has to know about the system it's going to run on top. And this includes uh, the runtime system. It, it includes also OS, OS APIs. It includes APIs for communications. Like say, the, the easiest way is our, our, our compiler will have a model of Of, of, or, we, or we'll know about the APIs if, if it's going to use POSIX, 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 POSIX threads, the, the API, or if it's yeah. going to use some API 
like for, for example, the MCAPI API. So we know about those APIs and we generate code uh, against those APIs so that we use different, uh, the, the, the different services which are uh, down, down below. And that's also something that um, from our point of view improves a lot the experience of programming multi-cores, right? So you, you, you write your application in a platform agnostic way and the compiler decides which is the best API, for example, to move data from one core to the other core. That is something that the compiler does, does automatically. The programmer only has to do um, and when the, in the language there is an abstract way of, of moving data and the compiler will choose the best strategy possible uh, in terms of, of performance. Um, so yeah, so concretely, which, which OSs do we, do we support? So we have um, code generation for different platforms from Texas Instruments. Some of those uh, are using the TI BIOS, for example, or the other ones are, would be using a version of Linux. Uh, but we also work with systems which are bare metals with, with a very thin um, runtime system and, and also the custom-made operating system. So that's, that's a matter of, of modeling, right? Okay. Yeah, okay. Quite, already quite deep, dive deeply into the, into the situation here. So let's just go one step backwards uh, because at the very beginning you mentioned something about that there are typical applications or there are applications which can be parallelized much more better than others. So is there some kind of general understanding uh, for some kind of typical skeleton, typical template of a structure which can be much more easily be parallelized when others you can already at the beginning say, oh, that will never come to, go, to a good end? Um, yeah, for example, so the, the, the most typical case is... is uh, when, so like this kind of for, for loop parallelism where you have uh, parallel loops for data level parallelism. Mm -hmm. So this is, a, this is a very good example of what we, what we can achieve sometimes very easily. And uh, say, for example, people know about OpenMP, right? So um, if you know that a loop is going to, in every iteration of the loop is accessing different data, basically you could execute all the, all the iterations of your loop in parallel, right? Okay. So that's, that's a very common uh, parallelism pattern that people exploit, which is called data level parallelism. So it means every iteration of a loop, which is accessing, for example, some arrays, if, if these iterations are independent of each other, you could, in principle, run all iterations in parallel. And that's what you can extract sometimes if you, if you, or that's what you can exploit if you use OpenMP parallel 4 as an example. Mm -hmm. So now, if you, if you don't know, if you don't have insights, enough insights on, on, your, on your code and you have a big for loop there and you cannot, you cannot really tell if these, if these iterations are really, really disjoint, that is something our tool can, can do the analysis for. And we actually also generate open, OpenMP or OpenCL annotations so that you can, sorry, OpenMP or OpenACC annotations so that you could use, if you have a compiler that supports this kind of constructs, then the, the parallelism would be for free. If you don't have this kind of compiler, we, could, we would then uh, generate out of this for loop, we would generate a number of worker threads that would work on those iterations in parallel. So that's, okay. that's kind of the easiest uh, pattern, and it's, it's supported not by, by other tools, uh, as I know. Uh, there are other patterns which are more complicated, for example, um, pipeline parallelism. Pipeline parallelism uh -huh. is something that, that you often have in signal processing, right? Yes, so you, yes. have, you have data which is coming in a stream. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look at your C code, you, you wouldn't see it because you just have a sequence, for example, of functions. You're calling some functions, and uh, it's going to be tough those functions are probably going to use some globals or some static variables. So it's going to be tough to realize uh, how is the data moving and which, which functions depend on, on which functions, right? So that's also something that we do. We analyze which functions depend on which functions so that we mm -hmm. can understand if there is a pipeline or not. Um, and if, if, if there is a pipeline, then when we, we start also doing something which is in, in important, if you, if, you, if you think about pipelines, you have to balance the pipeline, right? Yep. So you, 
You don't want to have 10 stages and one stage being super long because then uh, you don't really have you don't really have this uh, 10 times speed up of your throughput. So that's that's something that that the tool will do. We have models of so cost models. We we have a lot of uh, background in compiler technology, and uh, with this background of compiler technology, we can kind of only at, when looking at the C code or looking at the compiler representation of the C code, we can estimate the cost of this piece of C code on different architectures, including DSP, VLAW architectures, or typical ARM or MIPS uh, simpler cores. Mm-hmm. You just mentioned some kind of um, of cost. I, I don't mean the, the monetary cost. I mean simply, mm-hmm. is there are some situations you simply have to decide it does not make real sense to uh, to parallelize it. So I don't mean because it's technically impossible, but it's simply due to some other reasons. So the cost to parallelize uh, will, even if, if you have suddenly four cores instead of one, it's not that you have four times the, the throughput, but you only have, for example, two times the throughput. So it must be decided whether the parallelism is really done because you are occupying four cores instead of one, but you only have a benefit or a gain of two. Right, that's a, that's a great question. So... Um, when we when we analyze it, yeah. So when we analyze the code, we we have this idea of the cost, and as you say, it's not monetary cost. It's mm-hmm. What is the cost of implementing this parallelism scheme on this platform? And for that, we have to take into account what is the cost of synchronization, for example, if yeah. you have synchronization APIs, or what is the cost of moving this data uh, to the other memory, right? Because th- that's going to be processed in another processor. So th- those all all those costs are modeled in the compiler, so the compiler can say. Yeah, you know, this, this for loop here, uh, it has pipeline parallelism and it could be parallelized on three cores, for example. And it's also going to tell you a, an estimate of what would be the speed up that you could achieve, right? So if you, if you are using this, this tool, so the Isilix Parallelizer, uh, this is an Eclipse-based tool. You have your editor and you tell the tool, okay, please analyze parallelism here. Mm-hmm. And what you're going uh, what you, what to see as, 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 as first input or first output from the tool is that you're going to get annotations. You're going to see, okay, this loop has this kind of parallelism. It could execute in this many cores uh, and uh, with this amount of pipeline stages, and it's going to give you this speed up, right? And the tool suggests what, which would be the best configuration. So as, as you say, even if you have 16 cores, uh, the tool would probably use three or four cores if the application has not enough parallelism to use the 16 cores. This sounds, I, I don't want to say it, it sounds difficult, but it seems to be something, there needs to be some knowledge even on the user side. How elaborate must be a potential user be to simply use the tools? Are there different stages, so default until verbose, or how is it done? Um, yeah, so we, with, with our customers, we start with, uh, usually we start with kind of a training, so we have to train them in, in using the tools. So um, we still we're still com- convinced that it is easier than than doing it by yourself, right? Because you just have to understand the messages, you have to understand the hints that the tool is giving. Uh, you have to you have to have some knowledge about uh, what kind of parallelism there are in, in typical applications, right? So this is something that that has to that has to be understood. You have to understand what, when the tool is telling you uh, this loop has data level parallelism or this or this in this function. You, you can need to extract, understand it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, task level parallelism. You need to understand this, and also uh, our tool will show you Gantt charts and, 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 and plots alike. So you also have to be um, knowledgeable. I mean, that's that's an easy thing. I mean, it's, it's, it takes two or three days to get used to this to to, to be able to read Gantt charts and to understand. Uh, what what does it mean when you're moving data? What what does it mean when some thread is blocking and, and these kind of things? So, but but um, we are doing all of these and we are showing all these results 
in your C code, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. very it's very bound to the implementation. So you will see the the names of the variables. You will see all these things. So in the end, you in the end you don't have to deal with with the with the low level API kind of programming or or changing things. So the the, the tool is going to do it for you. So I think that's that's where the benefit comes. Mm-hmm. A typical use case or a typical user, how how does it look like? So from your experience, yeah. So I think we. So uh, I'll probably talk about three different users. Um, so the first user is the user that has legacy C code, right? So this is the one that we, when we started um, the work that we're doing now in Silexica, when we started this in research, we, we started with that use case. So it's a guy that has uh, C code and now he has a multi-core and he has to improve the performance of C code. Yeah, before the performance of C code was automatically improved because processors were getting faster, but now they are not getting faster. They're just getting parallel. So then... Now that the programmer has to do something, right? And do something means uh, parallelizing. So this guy would start with C code. He would just uh, open the C code in our C editor. Um, he would just tell the tool, analyze this. And, and we analyze this with input data because we do what, what is called dynamic uh, analysis. So the, the, we, we need profiling data. So the, the, the programmer will just provide, say, for example, if this is about uh, decoding images or decoding video, it would just provide some images and some videos. We, so our, our tool will just take this C code instrument it, analyze it, run those tests and to get a feeling of what is happening in the application. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's the first step. Uh, after this step, the programmer already can look at, at things that you may be used to. So things like profile information, call graphs, uh, and all this kind of information that you can extract from code. And then the, 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 the programmer can say, okay, just show me parallelism, right? So that, that's, he can tell the tool, show me where is parallelism. Uh, so of course, the, the, the tools will focus on those pieces of the applications that waste the most time, right? So you might have a, a for loop, which is beautifully parallelizable, but it's only using 1% of the time. So yeah. there's no point in looking at that for loop, right? Of Even course, if it's yeah. so beautiful. So the tool will just focus on the important pieces of the application and it's going to start telling the programmer, uh, yeah, here we have options for parallelism, here we have options for parallelism. And we have some, from, from C code, we have some... Um, some backends that could generate, for example, OpenMP code or, or pthread code or mm-hmm. MPI code and these kind of things. Uh, so then if the user say, yeah, this, this parallelism looks, looks right, so this is, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take those hints. These are actually dis, dis, displayed in, in the source code. He could say generate a parallel implementation, okay? Um, and, and that's it. So in, in the end, when you, when you say generate a parallel implementation, then you will get a parallel version of the application, which is, for example, which has a lot of uh, now calls to the to the Pthread API or calls to the MPI API or both of them, and um, we do source to source transformation. So the programmer could still go and look at this Pthread and MPI code and recognize his uh, original code. So we don't change the original code; uh, we add new code, right? So he would he could just go go there and, and check how, how how things happened. So that and, means, sorry that yeah, that sure. means that you don't. But you don't manipulate the original code, so you don't shift it around or something like that. Yeah, we do shift around, but ah, okay. you, you would recognize the same lines. Yeah, sure. We have to shift it around yeah, because okay. we have to back things into functions or into threads. Uh, but we shift we shift it around, but the the lines are will be recognizable. It's, okay. I'm, I'm saying this because if you if you have worked with other code generators, um, sometimes we, we we turn. So when we are doing compilers, we, we we sometimes like to export kind of intermediate code, and intermediate code is very difficult to read. So that's, that's what I'm saying. It's we, we try to keep the, the the original structure of the code as as, as much as possible. 
Um, so yeah, so these these guys, so this the C part, so the, the, the parallelization part of, of the code is a difficult task, and that's why we give control to the programmer, right? So we we want him also to to take a look at this code. We want also him, for example, to take over some some recoding tasks if we if we for for other kind of backends that we have, um, because we some of the some of the decisions that we are taking are based on the input data that the user provided, right? So, he might also later change things or remove things around. But at the beginning, we think this is a very good first parallel implementation to start with. That's, that's how we, we see this, this first process going on. So you get a parallel version of your application, then you can start and continue improving this, this parallel version. So that's, that's one user. Uh, very briefly, the, the other user would be the one that uses the, the parallel input that I mentioned before, which is based on data flow programming models. And this is uh, for people, for example, working on signal processing, that they're used to work with uh, block diagrams like in Simulink or LabVIEW. Um, then you, you would have, anyway, a vision of your application, which is kind of a block diagram. And, and this is formally, we call those uh, data flow programming models. And we have a language for that. So you could already say, okay, this is a, this is a, this is a task which is doing some kind of decoding. This is another task which is kind of doing some filtering and so on. And we have a language for, for describing this kind of application. So this would be already a parallel input. And um, that, that would be the starting point of this, of this programmer. And there we do, again, so we show all these Gantt charts. We do all the mapping. How, how do, where do we put tasks into this course? Uh, so that's briefly the second use case. And the third use case is one that I briefly mentioned before, which is for system architects, which are trying to architect a new platform. So oh, for, these guys, mm -hmm. for this guy, it's more like, we have uh, our multi-core as a, our multi-core compiler, as I said, has a model of the multi-core. It knows which kind of cores, what kind of interconnect, what kind of memories uh, are in the system. So uh, now the system architect has a bunch of applications, and he wants to study or analyze what would be a, what would be a sensible new version of the platform for the next generation of products, right? So then the system architect will take our tool and start saying, okay, let's see what happens if I do this, if I change this bandwidth, or if I put more memory, or if I put more processors, and I'll analyze what, what would be a nice a next generation platform for, um, depending on, on, on the performance gainings that you would get. This already sounds something like, um, let's say, simulation, especially the, the last use case, if you have the system architect and doing some kind of design stuff for the whole overall system. So is there the opportunity to also simulate these things or is it only some kind of let's change it and let's see how the code looks like? Yeah, so it's, it's similar. It's, it's, yeah, it's related to simulation. So what the, the, the reason why we do this is because uh, for, for the program models that you are using, we can do a lot of analysis without really simulating or running the code. We can do a lot of analysis just based on traces of events uh, because of the programming models that we're using. So we can do this, uh, this analysis of what would happen if you use different cores. We can do this at a very high level of abstraction. So we don't have to really run instructions. We don't have to, uh, so as, as an example for, for, a, for an application, a video application, it will take you four hours on, on a simulator to run it. Uh, using our, our trace-based, uh, more abstract models, it will take you a couple of, I don't know, under a minute or something, right? Because mm -hmm. we are not really running code, so we don't have to emulate any instruction set architecture or anything, so it's very fast. But it's because of the programming model that we're using. And, and that allows very quick decisions at, the level, at, at this level. But of course, this is just a, a very uh, initial um, a, a very initial estimate that you will get. In, mm -hmm. in the end, it would just give you hints of which direction to go. But sure, I think uh, that it's gonna, there's going to still be use for 
for real system simulators based on system okay. C. Yeah. Okay. As we are already now amidst in the inside of the of the details, I I have a question here about uh, what, what about you already mentioned that there are you are starting with a single core or with, or with a with a non parallelized um, application, and then how can I imagine that? So you simply say to the system, "Hey, hold on, we now have, for example, four cores available, or sixteen, or or twelve, or whatsoever you have," and then the system starts with the existing code and using these cores most preferably. How is that done? I I mean, from One aspect is the user's point. So I simply have some kind of configuration file or GUI or whatsoever. And they're saying, this is the amount of cores I have or some other details too. And on the other side, how is it then effectively done and how long does it last, for example? Okay, yeah, that's also a great question. So I mentioned a couple of times this architecture model. So these models of the, of the architecture, and that's the key point here. So um, This architecture model, you could think of it as, as a, a schematic of your platform, right? And, okay. and it, has, it has names. It has, for example, yeah, here we have an ARM uh, 9 or a, a DSP uh, C66 from TI. So yep. we, we, we know this course. And this is something that we, we have done for some platforms because it's, it's, this model, is, this model is, uh, is very detailed. So when I say we know that there is a C66, we actually have a model of which functional units this core has, oh. right? So okay. which what kind of pipeline structure, we know how many registers this core has, and all these kind of things. So we, we, we have very detailed information of what these cores are. Okay, so that's the first point. So, and, and we use this information uh, to analyze what I was saying before about the cost. So you give this model, this model describes which kind of cores we have, how are they interconnected, what kind of memories, how big they are, and these kind of things. We also tell in the model which kind of APIs we have, and, and we, we have benchmark. Uh, we, we benchmark these APIs to identify what is the cost of moving data with those APIs. Mm -hmm. um, so this, this, is, this is all part of this model, which is, which is very, very complete. Uh, and it's, it's an, so this modeling effort is something that, that Silexica does for some of the platforms. And then if a customer has a particular platform, uh, we would engage together with the customer uh, in modeling those things because the, the model is very important to get performance, right? So as I said, the tools give you performance and productivity. So the productivity means you could get to a parallel version quicker. Mm -hmm. uh, this you could do if, if it, if, even if the model is wrong. You could go to a parallel version. Uh, but if this parallel version is good or not depends on the quality of the model. So this model is very important. So that's how the tool knows, okay, we have eight uh, DSPs and we have four ARM cores, right? So that's, that's yeah. how the tool knows this. And uh, then it comes to the, to the placement, what, what you said, how, how the tool decides where to put kind of functionality. And that's where the detailed model is very important because then we know um, if, if I take a piece of C code, for example, if I, have, if, I have a, if I have a bunch of functions, what the tool internally will do is that it's going to say, okay, what happens if I would compile these functions or this code into this DSP with uh, this VLW DSP with an eight slot uh, instruction, right? Yeah. Uh, so we do this. We do this kind of compiler transformation. We we lower the code to see how this code would use those eight VLW slots, and estimate what would be the speed up that we get if we run on a VLW machine, as opposed to if we run on a RISC core. Yeah. And that's how the tool knows. Oh yeah, for this kind of for, for these functions, it it makes more sense to put those in the in the DSP 
and and these other functions probably we just run it on the arm oh. and in between we know that we're going to have to move data so we have estimated also the cost of moving data to the dsps okay. and that's how the tool decides where to put the functionality uh-huh. so it's very dependent on the model and, and this analysis that we do on the code to identify what 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 would be the cost of running it on these or the other core as you just say about the, the decision the system does to uh, whether it's moved towards the DSP or moved towards the, the ARM core or MCU, whatever it, it is in use, I think there must be some, some communication, some kind of shared data or whatever you do. How, do. how do you handle that? How do you prevent race conditions? That's something which has not been existent before. Yeah, that's, again, an excellent point. Um, so let me... Let me start with with the easy one. So the easy one is uh, when we so the, the programming model that we that we are talking about here, the parallel one. So the Dataflow the Dataflow programming model is is we, we like this programming model because it enforces to send data through channels explicitly. Okay. Yeah. So which is how you would do it also if you if you use um, kind of simulating these block diagrams, right? You, you you have connections because you know that you are sending data to the next block. Mm-hmm. Um, so here the, the the issue of data races is uh, is virtually not there, right? So we know that there are some communication channels this, uh, through, through which these processes will communicate and there's, no, there's not going to be shared state. So what we do there is that we, we know that there's, there, there's going to be data movement and we very precisely know which data is going to be moved. In the end, the compiler may decide to use shared memory. Okay. But, then, mm-hmm. but then this is under control of the compiler. So we know how to protect it with, with locks. And sometimes... We don't even need locks because we know about um, constraints, for example, on the schedule. So you, you would know that uh, this would run without race conditions because we know what is the access pattern to this data. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's the easy one, right? Because we're mm-hmm. starting with a, with, a, with a very clean programming model. Yeah. When we start with C code, it's more difficult. So, yeah. we, so there is where we, as I said before, we, we do this all analysis of, with, with input data. So what we know which, which data is going from, from where to where. And we do insert locks and, 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 and to enforce synchronization. So we mm-hmm. do this, so the compiler does it automatically. But that's why I said um, for very general C code, it is virtually impossible to, to, to trace all the pointers. So that's where uh, the user knowledge is important. Mm-hmm. So we, 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 we do something that, that, that will run, but the user has to uh, continue working on this implementation to improve it. In some cases, in some cases we can... Um, we can convert a, a C code into the other programming model, and then we are fine, right? Yeah. Uh, but it, that's that's not uh, that's not the case for general C code. Mm-hmm. That means if I look, for example, at this kind of um, multi-core DSP and ARM Keystone two architecture, the Kepler two from Texas Instruments here, you mentioned I think that was the sixty six architecture, yes. and. Uh, we have we have these kind of four ARM cores inside, and they have the core pack uh, belonging to the to the DSPs, and so that means your compiler is automatically handling the complete memory subsystem to organizing shared memory data, or does he use also some kind of other, uh, let's say, communication possibilities like uh, yeah, there are ten gigabit Ethernet or, or things like that. Uh, yeah, so we so the ten the ten gigabit Ethernet. I, I don't know. if This is I think to go out of the board. Okay. Uh, we we focus on in on onboard uh, communication possibilities, and okay. there are many. There are many of them, especially so this platform that you mentioned has a lot of a lot of uh, 
hardware support for it has yes you could, you, you could use this cache uh, so you could use the cache as a scratch pad memory or you could use this hardware queues with the multi-core navigator mm-hmm. so it's uh, i don't know so the manual is huge and this is something that we that we did already when we were in academia we we analyzed very deeply this kind of architecture and we modeled all these different uh, op- options for communication and as i said before we have for each one of these uh, of these uh, APIs, so to speak, to move data from DSP to DSP or from DSP to ARM, from ARM to ARM, yep. so you have all these options, and they are bound. For example, for some of these options, of course, you cannot use huge amount of data because they wouldn't fit on on the queue or they wouldn't fit on this level of cache. So we know what are the constraints of using these APIs, and then we benchmark what is the cost of moving data with these APIs, right? So then this every API is modeled then as a, as a very complex function. Mm-hmm. And this is part of the architecture model. Ah, so then okay. that, that's why I say that uh, for productivity reasons, so the at, at the level of for this data flow programming model, you're just simply saying, okay, I have these blocks and these blocks will communicate. And you're not saying how they should communicate. You're not saying if this communication should go over shared memory or using the extended DMA uh, pr- uh, peripherals that the platform has. Um, and the tool then decides which is the best API to use. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that mean that you uh, lose control? I, I mean, in the matter of that uh, I want to understand the system completely. It looks like something, the train is running and you are only a passenger of it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's the view of an expert programmer, yes. Uh, uh, I think, yes. So I think you, 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 lose, you lose kind of control, but I think it's, it's, it's similar to the control that you lose when you move from assembly to C or to C++ or to Java. Okay. Okay. So you, yeah, you you stop. You don't have that easy access to uh, to some special instructions that you would like to use, and you you see that the compiler is not using those instructions. So in C, you still could have inline assembly, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. Similarly, in our case, if you are an expert on the architecture, which uh, I, I I I tell you, not not everybody knows how the TI system works, mm-hmm. uh, but if you are an expert on the architecture, you can override decisions of the tool. Ah, okay. So these all these all these mapping decisions are displayed on on our Eclipse-based GUI, and uh, you could see how processes would would were mapped to the processors. You could see which channels, which logical channels are mapped, which which APIs, and you can change all these things after the mapping has been done, or you could also impose mapping constraints before the mapping mm-hmm. has been done. Okay? okay, so you could tell the tool before it starts. You could tell, please, for this guy, I know. Please use the, the the hardware queue, or for this guy, use the DMA. Or I want to I want to I, I want this process to be fixed to this to this processor because I have if this is a different platform, I have that is where I have some peripherals that I want to access, right? So you, you could tell tell these these things to the tool. But yes, so it's 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 abstracting away details, and that may that means that you would lose some of the control. Okay, but it sounds like that it is highly individually adaptable. So and that's that's a benefit. That's yeah, that's great. So sounds sounds really nice then. <laughs> Good. Okay. Uh, then I have one particular question. This this is always in my head since we get in touch here. So what about I have had one problem some some time ago. It was the original code was like we have some kind of a consumer pattern. So we have some kind of multi-instances providing log data. And the log data is sent to one consumer and this one is putting them outside of the system. Somehow, somewhere it's stored. So at the moment, this has been, this was a one-core solution. And at the moment, the 
the, the producers of the data have been put to multiple cores, we run into a performance bottleneck because suddenly we only have one consumer, but we have suddenly in parallel, parallel multiple producers which have been in, se in sequence before. So how, could, how does the Silexica or the, how does the SLX multi-core tool suite prevent this kind of performance battle, bottlenecks? Yeah, so, um, so I think you, you, you can always have kind of these this pathological cases, right, where, mm -hmm. where you could um, stress the platform so that you reach the, the bottlenecks of, in this case, would be the bottleneck of communication, right? Okay. So you would push in a, a lot of data through the bus, for example. I don't know if, this, if it was a distributed system or if it was on, on a core. So you, you would, anyway, uh, exhausting the resources that you had for communication, right? Um, so you, you can always build this, 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 this kind of application that would exhaust the resources. So what Silexica does uh, is that if you have, I mean, if you, if you have this kind of application where you have a lot of people producing data and only one consumer, um, then probably what, what, what Silexica is going to do is that it will analyze all the costs of communication. It, will, it would realize that, that, you have, uh, that you don't have enough bandwidth to put all those data. So that, that's going to be the, the critical path, so to speak, of your application. So in the end, it would realize that it doesn't make sense to, to map all those parallel processes producing data to a different core, but it will probably join some of them, right? Okay. So what would happen is that uh, if you have 100 uh, of processes generating data, uh, then Silexica would probably group them in groups of 10 or something so that they would run, so this 10 would run on a core and send data um, sequentially. So that's, that's on the top of my head, so I, uh, we would have to see how, how, how that goes to the okay. tools. But yeah, so the tool has this, this, the idea of when is the communication link um, um, when is the communication link exhausted and, and has no more resources? So at the, uh, the point is the, the tool will recognize that there is, a, there is a bottleneck issue. But the bottleneck issue is, is there, right? So it's, it's, it's because of the application is, is, is very, very uh, memory or me me communication intensive. That's exactly the point. For me, it, it would be already a, a huge benefit if there would be a system highlighting to me that there might be a bottleneck which I'm even not aware of before because uh, there was only with one-to-one -one connection, so at, at least one producer, one consumer at one time, and now there will be end-to-one connection. And I wasn't aware of it. I was simply happy that I could spread all the calculations, all the action to multiple cores. And now I would have a system which is able to, re uh, to detect that or to determine that in the, in the before. Especially in telecoms, you have a lot of state machine for, for protocol implementations, you see. And is it possible to parallelize that too? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, so yeah, final state machines protocols—they are more like in the Mac layer. So when in so in the in the in the product project that we have with customers, so we focus a lot on base, baseband uh, processing, uh, but at the physical layer where you have more data, data, data kind of number crunching. Um, so the Mac layer, so the, the the simpler finite state machines, those are difficult to parallelize, right? This is a finite state machine is very. Is, is very sequential in, in, its, in, its, in, its, in its conceptual thinking, right? So it's, it's just moving from one state to, the, to another state. So um, for us, or, or in my view, those simpler, like old Mac kind of final state machine protocols are not really parallelizable. What you can parallelize is what is going to happen within, those, within some of those states, right? So sometimes on, in one of those states, you would, and especially now when, when protocols are becoming more complex, 
in some of those states, you will probably run a big number crunching thing, and that you can paralyze. Right? That, that's that's my point. So you, the, the finance machine itself, not because it's just moving states. You have to you have to wait for them. But um, inside, what what would happen in a state? So the process that you would have to do, you could paralyze that. Okay. But as I, as I said, so in Silexica, we 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 do work with telecom, but we focus more on the on the physical layer. Yeah, I understand. Good. Let's come finally to the point to say, okay, I think this kind of uh, single core to multi-core expansion is not something which is exclusive for Silexica. I have in mind something like, uh, at least natively on, on Linux, it's something like OpenMP, or mm -hmm. I also find Sabamba, for example, framework for adaptive programming optimization. Is there some kind of particular difference what SLX multi-core is exceptionally doing in a different way? Uh, yeah, so you're right. So there are so this 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 problem or this quest for for uh, using multi cores uh, has started in many many different places in the world. Uh, so you mentioned OpenMP, right? So OpenMP, as I said, it's, it's something that we support. So I think OpenMP is also a programming model. Yes, um, it's very widespread in in desktop computing uh, region, but it's not really supported by many uh, embedded uh, compilers. So that's why we say we we if you have OpenMP, we can generate OpenMP. If you don't. We manage the threads ourselves. So OpenMP is just an abstraction on top of threads, and and it's a it's a good one, right? For mm -hmm. for parallel loops and so on. Uh, some Bamba, what you mentioned, um, I think this is from from Saarland or Saarbrücken. Uh, I forgot. So it's it's a it's a very it's a very good project as well. So I I, I know this project. So it's it's similar to what we are trying to do with the paralyzer. Yeah. So with, this is um, the the thing with the paralyzer is something that we that we started. A couple of years ago, so it was probably 2006 when we started working on this, and uh, Sambamba started a, a bit later. Uh, it's it's a similar approach. Um, I would say there that the main difference is just the the maturity of of the tools, right? So we have been working on this for for a long time. Um, it's difficult to compare what 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 they can do or with other people like you, you know, Vector Fabrics are also working on this in this area. So actually, we all these all these people that we're working on this on this difficult task of parallel parallelization of C code. We actually know each other very well, and we try to uh, find synerg synergies there. So we we talk to um, Professor Cella uh, from Zambamba, and we also talk a lot with the people with the folks from from Vector Fabrics to see how we can join um, efforts there. So one of the one of the things that 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 I would say is um, is something that really uh, makes us different in in this area is that we have from the beginning on, focused on heterogeneous multi-cores and uh, included all this technology for, for identifying where to put things uh, based on, on models of the architecture. And I think that's something that um, very few started off at the beginning with, right? So that's, that gives us a very clear advantage in this area of, of paralyzing of C code. And, and then you have other players also in the in the kind of, of these data flow program models or also visualizing uh, mappings or getting gun charts. Uh, and I think um, there I would say that the difference in Silexica is that we are very close to the implementation, right? So we are, we're using models. We're using models of so these parallel models and so on, but they are, they are implementation models. So they're based on, on code and, and we analyze code and the impact of code in these platforms. And we are not just... Uh, just basing decisions on, the, on, on abstract models that are not very related to reality. Mm -hmm. If I imagine there might be guys outside in the audience who are interested to dive a little bit deeper in these details, 
where might it be possible for them? Is there the web page or is there some kind of community or some other way to get in touch with Silexica Multicore? Yeah, so we, uh, so I, I don't think we have now a community. So the web page is, is quite informative. Uh, if you are interested in, in, the, in more details of the underlying uh, technologies, there are, of course, academic publications. But I would say if you are interested, just drop an email to Silexica, uh, use the contact formular in, in, the, in the web page. And I think the folks at Silexica will be happy to answer. Okay, that's great. So, Geronimo, is there anything that comes to your mind that you really would like to put in at this point? Oh, um, no, I think for, for those of you that are listening to, the, to this podcast that are having trouble uh, dealing with multi-cores and would like to have a little bit more automation so that you can um, just focus on the functionality and, and push those applications to different multi-cores, also taking portability consideration into, into account, just take a look at the Zilexica webpage and, as I said, contact us and, and see if we, can figure, if, we, if we can help you. Great. Thanks a lot for this. For this talk it was very informative and especially I personally have learned a lot. Thank you very much, Jeronimo. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This was our tech chat today with Jeronimo Castrillon-Mazo. Thank you again, Jeronimo, for your time and effort providing your know-how to all of us. Thanks a lot. If you guys in the audience have questions or you are interested in further details, do not hesitate to visit the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 31. I have provided to you several links with further information and also the social context of Geronimo. Geronimo. So if you have additional questions to him, don't hesitate and raise them. May I remind you of the question I have raised at the beginning of this episode? Where should I go with my presentation? What's your preferred way how this podcast should look like? Still continuing in the way as it is now, so diving deeply, having a very professional cut? Or is it something you say, hey, I should be more light hearted I want to have some more conversational, more en entertaining aspect in it? So please don't hesitate. Give me your feedback. EmbeddedSuccess.com slash feedback. That's really important for me to see where to go because I don't want to bore anybody. Of course not. And see, it's a lot of work to provide this kind of information on a regular basis, not only for me, but also for my guests. Thus, if you're enjoying this podcast, or if you are at least regularly listening to it, and if you want to make me happy, then please provide me a review at iTunes. I have experienced that the, the reviews which have been provided by you to, uh, on the Stitcher platform have never really uh, arrived on my side. So something really weird is ongoing. I try to clarify on Stitcher, but we are very unresponsive here. So you cannot imagine how much inspiration I get off, out of your feedback. So for me, it's really the, some kind of gasoline which drives me forward. In this sense... This was the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I hope you get some inspiration, some ideas, or simply some entertainment with this episode. I'm Georg Lohre from the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. Thank you for listening. <laughs>